This work was done by our God. You may be seated. What a testimony. 52 days. All the opposition that you could think of. All the obstacles that they had to overcome. Nehemiah had been there less than six months traveled all the way from modern Iran today, ancient Persia, the capital Susa, all the way to the city of Jerusalem, traveled through enemy territory, had gone to Asaph, got supplies, able to remove large rubbish stones, rebuild walls and gates that were burned with fire in 52 days. And the testimony was the enemies of God perceived that this work was of our God. So my challenge this morning to North Valley Bible Church, could the people around our church, as they're watching what God is doing among us, could they say what's going on at North Valley Bible Church, that is a work of God. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony? That doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be busting the walls out in growth. But there should be some evident things that make us stand out. That this work is unlike anything else that's going on in the rest of the world. I believe that's my testimony when I come to North Valley Bible Church. This is a place I look forward to going to. I'm not a guy who looks forward to going to work. <laughs> and as a pastor, this is the work that God's called me to do. But on Saturday morning, at 6 o'clock in the morning when my alarm goes off, I am looking forward to coming and hanging out with a bunch of men who love Jesus and talking about the Word of God. When Caleb gets up here and he begins to worship... And the music begins to play. And the songs that Josh puts up on the screen. I can't wait. Last week, I didn't want to stop worshiping. I said, let's, let's pick another song. Trace, let's sing holy, holy, holy. Anything. I just, God is in this place. This, I, I perceive that God is here. This is a work of God. And the enemies of God said, there is something unique about that wall going up. And we can go back through the six chapters that we've already read, and we can pull some things out that they did, that Nehemiah did, that the Jewish people did. And we can emulate those things, and we can have the confidence that God is at work here. Now, in the Old Testament, it was obvious to see that God was at work in Egypt. God was bringing frogs, lice, locusts, darkness. The miracles were evident. It was easy to see that God was working in the time of Joshua. They walked across the Jordan River as the waters piled up. And the city of Jericho was in great fear because they saw the work of God. But in the book of Nehemiah, there is not a single miracle recorded. In fact, the vast majority of the Old Testament is a book of just historical events that are going on. 
It's not so much a book of the miraculous. It's a miracle book, yes. But the miracles were far and few between. Otherwise, they wouldn't be miracles. We have 400 years of silence between Malachi and John the Baptist. There weren't a whole lot of miracles going on. And that's why the miracles of Jesus were so unique. That's why the miracles of the apostles were so unique. Because those are revelatory periods where God is using the miraculous to give divine revelation about his people and about his mission to save. But the biblical story really is one of God doing extraordinary things through just ordinary people like Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Ruth. We don't have any miracles in those books. Jeremiah doesn't perform any miracles, but we know that he was a prophet of God. And so the vast majority of the Old Testament and the vast majority of our Christian life is not these wonderful miracles that we can say, wow, look what God did here. But it's the miraculous things that God does through ordinary people who are faithful to the vision that God gives them and by faith are able to do what is extraordinary. Nehemiah was that man. And this was Nehemiah's testimony when he came back to Jerusalem. I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. Now that's a figure of speech, isn't it? The hand of God. We know that God is spirit, so it's an anthropomorphism. And it's indicating God's presence, God's power, and God's provision. That's what the hand of God refers to. It's a figure of speech. It means that God is intervening. When God's hand reaches into your life, it means that God is supernaturally intervening on your behalf to accomplish something, to bring certain things to pass in your life. And I pray that every one of you who knows Jesus today can say, I have seen the hand of God at work in my life. I can see a lot of you nodding your head because you're saying, yes, my God is a living God and my God is active in my life. My God is not passive. Now, Nehemiah was no different from you and I, but he had vision, he had prayer, he had perseverance. And those are things that you and I can have in our Christian life. But what else helped Nehemiah come to this realization that God was at work in all these circumstances. Well, sometimes it's a little bit subjective. You know, it, it could just be circumstances. It could have just been the right circumstances that King Artaxerxes said, Nehemiah, why are you so sad today? Uh, Nehemiah, what do you need? Nehemiah, how long are you going to be in Jerusalem? When are you going to come back? Oh, you need... A letter to get through the lands? Let me write that letter for you. Oh, you need to get a letter to go into the forest to get all the wood? Yes. And all those things, Nehemiah could have said, well, that was just, you know, it just happened. No, Nehemiah knew it was the hand of God because Nehemiah had prayed for those things. Nehemiah 
when he heard about the city of Jerusalem, took a burden on him. He was weighted down with the necessity to get back. And the very fact that he got back, he knew that God's good hand was upon him. And so if you want to see God's hand in your life, it probably should start with a burden. God, I have a burden for this situation. God, I am going to pray about this situation. God, I am going to walk through the open doors that you give me. Then I know that God is in it. Remember one time Tracy and I were praying about a trip to go to Ireland. We had absolutely no money to get there. But God had put it on our hearts. We had a burden for the Irish people. I had taken a prayer journal and we were praying for different people groups throughout the world. And we recognized that the country of Ireland was 0.8% Christians. That means 99.2% of the Irish people were dying without Jesus Christ and spending eternity separated. It started with a burden. And we began to pray for the Irish people. And then we began to pray that God would somehow get us there for a survey trip. I have a friend who's a pilot and he called me, he says, Patrick, he says, I have got some buddy passes from Miami to London. Would you like to go and visit London? I says, that's getting pretty close to Ireland. We can figure out how to get there. Now, I had to get down to Miami. A day later, a lady drives up into our driveway. Tracy checked on tickets to get down to Miami. I think they were like $450. And this lady had been attending a little tiny church and that church had just closed and she was keeping her tithe separate. She says, I'm not going to spend, this is your money, God, I don't have a church to go to. But she says, I remember a pastor down at that little Baptist church. I'm going to take my tithe up there. And so she drove up, came up our driveway and hands me an envelope and it was the exact amount that Tracy and I needed to get down to Miami and then to get a flight to London, and then we just got a little puddle jumper across over to Limerick. But we knew that our God had done those things because it began in prayer. Nehemiah is confident. My God is on this work here in the city of Jerusalem. This is no accident. This is no coincidence what God is doing. So I would like for us just to do a little inductive Bible study practice. Um, we've, we've taught inductive Bible study skills here at the church, and, and we, we do it from time to time, but it's, it's three basic steps. It's very simple. You observe the text, and you ask all the questions, the four, I don't think it's five W's and one H. When, where, why, who, what, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing up here, and how. <laughs> anyway, so those are, you look at the text, okay? You ask those questions. What is the subject? What's the main verb? What, what are the adjectives describing it? So we're going to do a little inductive Bible study of verse 16, just one verse. Well, we need, to do, we need to do 15 as well. So the wall was finished on the 25th day, so we know what day it was. We know it was the month of Elu. We know it was 52 days, and it happened when our enemies heard and all the nations around us saw 
that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. So the main verb of this is they were disheartened. Why? For they had perceived that this work had been done of God. So when was this statement made concerning the work? It was made when the wall was finished. So that's, that's important. How did they know that this work was of God? Because God finished the work. Our God is a faithful God. Philippians 1.6 When God begins a work in you, He will bring it to completion. When God calls us to do something, God doesn't call us to do it halfway. So that's when they made the statement. Now, who made the statement? That's also important. Who's making this statement in this verse? It's the enemies of God, isn't it? That's significant. These enemies of God had done everything in their power to thwart God's work. Just go over to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 15. Nehemiah 4, 4.15. And it happened... Look at the group here. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. Every one of us returned back to the wall and got back to work. God, you had done this. So when did they make the statement? They made it when the wall was complete. Who made the statement? The enemies, the pagans surrounding them. This is significant. Because Israel's role as a nation, what were they to be? They were to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be a holy nation. They were a special treasure to God among all the nations of the earth. Because they were pointing to the Messiah. Now all the nations knew that this was a special people. And God told Abraham, I am going to bless all people through you. And the enemies now are coming to acknowledge the one true God of Israel. Jerusalem's purposes had been redeemed. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. He thought he was going to get rid of this temple mount where God, the Jehovah God of the Old Testament, the creator of heaven and earth, was worshipped. And God had another plan, didn't he? God is faithful. When God called the nation of Israel and God made a covenant with them, God was going to keep that promise. And you talk about a miracle that happened in 1948. The Zionist movement and Israel was reborn as a nation. That's a testimony to God. The enemies around the Six-Day War, they could not conquer that little piece of real estate because our God is faithful. That's not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but anyway, next question. What was their reaction? They were very disheartened in their own eyes. Their enemies... They had an idea that they were more powerful and that this work that the Jews was doing was insignificant. They said, are you going to make an end of the day? Are you going to bring back the sacrifices? Even what you're building, if a fox comes up and knocks on it, the whole wall is going to fall down. 
And now they were disheartened in their own eyes, and the Jews were elevated. In the book of Esther, in chapter 8, there's an incredible statement. The, grand, the father of this king, Artaxerxes, his father, King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, as it's known in Persian, he had made a decree by wicked Haman to annihilate the entire Jewish population. Little did he know that his wife was a Jew, Queen Esther. And you know the rest of the story, how she comes and builds the banquet, or presents the banquet, and then she finally gets around with her, the request. And because the Persian kings weren't as powerful as the Babylonian kings, the Babylonian kings, they could just give another de- decree to get rid of their first decrees. But the Persian kings weren't quite as powerful. They couldn't retract a decree. You remember when Daniel was before the Persian king and he was told no, not to pray to any other god? Well, that, that Persian king, he could not retract that law because they weren't as powerful as the Babylonian king. So he had to enforce that law, but he prayed to the God of Daniel. Well, King Xerxes could not reverse that law. So what he did instead is he gave the Jews permission. He gave another law. And he says, I give you permission to defend yourself. Now, where am I going with all this? When they saw what God was doing... And that the Jews were able to defend themselves. It says in the book of Esther that many of the pagans in the 127 provinces of this vast Persian empire converted and became followers of Yahweh. They became followers of the covenant God of Israel who were looking for a Messiah. And this is what God is doing simply through building a wall. What do you think God can do through us? We have the good news of Jesus Christ. God did it through building a wall. Now, why were they disheartened? Because they knew that this work was from God. 52 days. There's no other explanation. Not a miracle, no. But it was a miraculous thing that God just took a bunch of ordinary people who worked together to complete a task. And that's what God wants to do through North Valley Bible Church. That's what God wants to do in your lives. Just an average Joe, an average Jane like you and I, and God can do extraordinary things. So let's just kind of go through the book of Nehemiah and see how God does that. Well, I already mentioned one thing. God puts things in our hearts. That's how it begins. So let's go over to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 12. Because I, I want to show you this in the text. Nehemiah 2.12 Then I arose in the night, a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So where did the idea of building this wall come from? It originated from God. And God put it into Nehemiah's heart. Now... 
let's don't walk down the road of subjectivity. What I mean by that is there are some objective standards by which you and I can tell if God has put something into your heart. I'll give you an example in my own life. Sometimes we just get an idea, don't we? And it's a good idea. And we pray about it. And it never comes to pass. And there's nothing wrong with that. About two years ago, the defund the police was just going wild all over America. And I remember I was out on my bicycle, and there was a couple of bicycle officers on the canal. And I just stopped and started talking with them and asked them if their job was harder. And they said, yeah, making things really difficult for us. And I thanked them. And then I asked if I could pray for them. They were kind of blown away. Well, I got home from that bike ride, and I began to pray for the Ogden Police Department. And then God put a burden on my heart and said, Patrick, why don't you volunteer to be a chaplain? So I sat down at my computer, and I went through all the different things that I've done throughout my life. I thought that would be a good resume, (laughs) and it took a couple of days of praying about it. Then I called down to the police department, and, they, and I asked for an officer to speak with. They said, no, we don't have anybody here that, that could take that request. Well, I wasn't going to be discouraged, so I rode my bike down there. Went to the office and went and knocked on the door, and the lady came out and says, what are you here? And I said, I would like to volunteer as a chaplain for the police department. And she just looked at me like I was off my rocker. Like, who are you? And, you know, you, you know, I'm all sweaty. I just got off my bike. You know, some homeless guy just walked in and wants to be a, no. I said, no, ma'am. I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm legit. I'm a pastor here in town. And, and uh, so anyway, she, she took my, my resume and gave me a phone number. And she says, expect so-and-so to call you. Well, I never got a call back. So I called again. They didn't give me anybody to talk to. So I went down again. And after the third time of going down there, I thought, you know what, God, you put it on my heart. I thought I did. You did. Maybe, maybe I got my signals wrong. I don't know. And so I just have to leave it. Now, if I go home tonight and I've got a, a, a voicemail on my phone saying, hey, we finally got it, then I'll know it was God. But this is what I'm getting at, is sometimes... God puts things on your heart, and we ought to just follow those things through as far as we can. If the door goes shut, it goes shut. But there are some objective things as well that we can tell that God has put it on my heart. Or that God may be indicating that this is something that God's... So the first thing, and you may say, Patrick, that's a no-brainer. It cannot be contrary to the Word of God. God will never put something on your heart that is not in this word. And you're saying, Pat, that's so obvious. But listen to me. I have counseled Christian after Christian after Christian who have told me that God has put something in their heart and I will show them in God's word that this is contrary to the Bible. And they are convinced and they're telling me, no, you are wrong because I feel it right here. And I'll look at them right in the eye and I say, I don't care what you feel. God has said just the opposite. I had a young man come into my office. His wife had committed an act of infidelity. 
She begged him forgiveness and he would not forgive her. And he would not seek to restore that marriage because he had somebody that he wanted to marry. And I looked at him and I said, that is contrary to the word of God. And he looked at me and he says, this is what God has put in my heart. And I said, God didn't put it in your heart. You put that in your heart. Thank you, brother. (laughs) And he went off and did what he wanted to do. I had another man that was counseling I was with. And he told me that God had called him and his wife to be pastors. And I said, God did not do that. I said, you called you and your wife because God has never called a wife to pastor a church. The pastor of a church is the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. Okay? I might have stepped on some toes. I might offend some people. But this is God's word. And so if God is going to put something on your heart, it has got to be according to God's word. And... Nehemiah knew God's word. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. God, God's word told Nehemiah that if we violate God's covenant, that we would be scattered, that we would go all over the earth. And Nehemiah knew that. If I can find that reference. It's in verse 1, chapter 1. We have acted very corruptly. Verse 8. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were scattered to the farthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather you from there. I will bring you where? I will bring you to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Why was Jeremiah so confident that God would bring him back? Because God said so. And he said, if I have a burden to get back to Jerusalem, it's because God said if we will get our hearts right, God will get me back there because this is where God's name dwells. Second, we can know that God puts something in our heart when it's a response to a fervent and broken-hearted prayer. God works through what he reveals to us. Now, God doesn't just work in a vacuum, does he? God works with what we have, what the knowledge that we have in our minds and what we know about. This morning, we watched a video, didn't we? Had all those children opening up those... Christmas boxes. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that God today put it on your heart to walk out this door and to grab one of those shoe boxes and to fill it up and to send it somewhere where a little child can receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's where it begins. It begins with knowledge. God doesn't just work in a vacuum. He doesn't just, you know, genie pop something in our brain. Nehemiah asked some questions. He says, how are things back in Jerusalem? And he finds out that the people are in great distress, are in reproach. He said, there is a need. The second, my third point is, that need must correspond to your abilities and to your spiritual giftedness. God can put it on my heart all he wants to for me to come up here and play the piano next Sunday for worship. And it ain't happening. (laughs) I've got to have the ability to do that. 
I've got to have the wherewithal. I've got to have the resources to get it done. Now, God has put a lot of things on my brother Rick's heart because Rick can do a lot of things that I can't do. I sent a picture out of a door the other day of my dog just chewed the whole thing up. And Rick got the picture. Rick got the burden. Rick got the tools. And Rick fixed the door. Now, that's just a silly example. I was leaving a lady's house this week, went over to talk to her. And as I'm going out, bless her heart, I won't tell you what she said. It's cute, though. But I'll, if you want to know, I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards. But I don't want this to go out on recording. <laughs> but anyway, there's a door, a knock at the door. And I go, and there's another lady from the church bringing in a plate of food to that family. Now, how did that happen? Because somebody posted something on a Facebook note from our church, and there was a need that was put out there. And then that woman began to pray and said, how can I be a blessing to that lady? And she went home. She says, this is a meal I'm going to prepare. This is how God puts things on our heart. Is that contrary to God's word? No. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Whatsoever you do, do it with all of your might. Galatians um, 6.10, I know the verse, but I can't remember what it says, but it's got something to do with doing good for other people, but especially, who? The household of faith. So somebody quote that for me, but anyway, I know what the verse says. Oh, goodness, my brain's got a fart right now. <laughs> oh, mercy. Uh. My third point, it's got to be corresponds with our giftedness and the resources that we have. Who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. Who else had direct influence? Who else had direct access? Who else was so trusted as Nehemiah? Nobody else in the kingdom could have done what Nehemiah had done. And today, there's things that nobody else can do other than you because you are uniquely made and uniquely gifted and positioned where God wants you. Number two, we know that when God has worked because God opens the doors of opportunity, But God opens the doors of opportunity for those, listen to me, for those who are walking circumspectly. You say, what in the world is circumspectly? The Greek word is akrobos, or akrobos, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it means accurate, meticulous, and with precision. It's found in the book of Ephesians. And the rest of that verse says, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time is, again, a figure of speech. I can't buy time, right? But by redeeming the time, I am making the most of every second that I have. And there's only one way I can do that. And that is by walking accurately, precisely, and thinking spiritually all the time. Otherwise, those opportunities go right by you, and you don't even know it. Nehemiah was a man that was walking circumspectly, and when that door came open, he knew it, and he identified it immediately. 
He had never been sad ever before the king's presence when he brought the wine. And I don't think Nehemiah went in there and says, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to put on this sad face so that the king will ask me what's up. No. I think Nehemiah was so broken. I think Nehemiah was so burdened. He was unconscious that he was bearing this sadness in front of the king as the king's cupbearer, and that was a no-no. I mean, these kings, if they didn't want you in their presence, they would give you the death penalty. And so Nehemiah is standing there, and he says, Nehemiah, why are you sad? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. And Nehemiah walking circumspectly because he had been praying for four months for an opportunity. And he said, this is my opportunity. He says, oh, king, why shouldn't I be sad? I look around my people, the home of my father's sepulchers, and the wall, my people are in such a reproach. And then he says, what do you need? And so you know what he did? He prayed to the God of heaven, and then he gave him an answer. So we can know for sure when God is working and that God has opened the doors when he does it providentially. So we must be walking circumspectly. God opens also the doors of provisions. It's amazing what the king says to him. He says, how long are you going to be gone? And when are you going to come back? So I gave him a time. He says, what are you going to need? He says, I'm going to need letters to get through all these different provinces. I've got enemies everywhere. It's extremely dangerous. And you know what? He didn't even ask for this. And the king provided him an army and horsemen along with those letters to escort him those 700 miles through dangerous territory. And then he gave him a letter for materials. Let a letter be given to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. It must be given for timber to make beams for the gates, for the citadel, all that pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I may occupy. And the king granted them according to the good hand of my God that was upon me. And God had to open the doors of the political climate to change them. I want you to flip over to the book of Ezra real quick. One book back, Ezra chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 3 and verse 7, Ezra 3, 7. We're not going to read a lot of this because for, for time's sake. I'm sorry, 4, 7. Ezra 4, 7. In the reign of Ahasuerus, verse 6, in the beginning of the reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And look at verse 7. In the days of Artaxerxes also. That's the exact same king of Nehemiah. They wrote a letter. Bishlam, Mithridath, Tebel, and the rest of their companions wrote to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. And the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into Aramaic language. Now, what this letter contained was a threat that if you let these Jews rebuild this wall, you are going to lose all of your tax revenue on these provinces on the other side of the river. This exact same king ordered a decree and stopped the work on the wall. 
Take heed that you do not fail this, so that I will have no damage, nor will the king's uh, income be hurt. And when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letters was read before Rehum, Shemaiah the scribe and the commandments, they went up with haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made the work cease. That's pretty, pretty significant, isn't it? That that same king now is giving permission to Nehemiah. God opens the doors. How how do we know that this work is of God? Because God is the one who's opening the doors. God has put Nehemiah in the right place. God has given him permission to do all these things. And you and I, we ought to pray for God to open doors in our lives because God is sovereign. And what God, what I mean by sovereign doesn't mean that God meticulously makes every evil decision and, and evil things in man's heart. No, God doesn't do that. But as sovereign, God does what he wants to do, and God is in control. And our God says in in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. And what did God do in uh, King Artaxerxes' heart? He had Nehemiah as his cupbearer. And Nehemiah, this is, how, this is how God opens doors. God does it through you and I living out our Christian testimony consistently before a lost world. Now, believe me, I ain't no scientist. I have absolutely no chemistry, nothing. I was given a job in Ireland as a chemistry lab assistant in probably one of the most well-known soil. I used to call it dirt, and Mike Hayes used to say, Patrick, it's not dirt, this is soil. He was the best soil scientist. I mean, he lectured all over the world. His textbooks were used in, 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 in chemistry labs everywhere. And, and God did that. Took this country bumpkin from me. You know, he said, Patrick, I want you to write me a CV, a resume. So you know what my resume was to work with, with, with soil? I told him that I was a prairie grass manager. A pra- He's a prairie grass manager. He says, that sounds good. Put that down in your resume. When I was in college, I cut grass for the Sterling Park District. <laughs> but God... Open the door. God put me in favor of this scientist. And as a result of that, I got to talk to so many professors. I got to give a lecture at the University of Limerick. This, this, I mean, I'm a nobody. I got no PhD behind my name. I, I mean, I could, I took one math class in college and I changed my, 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 my major to sociology. Because I didn't have to study anything. If you don't want to, if you want to go to college and, and graduate cum laude, take, get a psychology degree or a sociology degree because you don't have to do anything. I mean, it's worthless. My dad told me that. I don't know where I'm going this morning. But listen, what God did. I went to a track practice. I just hung out at the track. I started running with the kids, running with the lads. The, the coach started talking to me. We became friends. He says, I want you on this campus. And he got me a job in this chemistry lab. 
And as a result, a, a year later, he says, can you put together a PowerPoint presentation? You know, you know that took me a long time, but I did. On the authority of God's word and the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I got to present that at the University of Limerick. How did that happen? Because God opens the doors. God can turn the heart of a professor. God can turn the heart of a king. God can turn the heart of your employer and put you wherever he wants you. He put my sister down there at Washington High School because that's where God wanted her. Our God is so big. God opens the doors and God will put something on your heart and God will do it. And God wants to do a work through North Valley Bible Church. The last thing I want to tell you that God's work is evident because God works together when his people are in unity. Can you imagine this city so broken, so fractured, so many different little cliques in the city of Jerusalem? For 12 years, this work has stopped, come to a halt. And in 52 days, Nehemiah comes back to this broken city Gets families from the cities of Tekoa. Not Tekoa Falls. <laughs> that's Georgia. That's, that's where my boy went to school, by the way. Tekoa Falls. One of the schools. Got people from the city of Jericho. Got people from the city of Mizpah. They all got together. Got people of different occupations. Got priests. Got apothecaries. Got goldsmiths. Got all these different families. And they all grabbed a section of the wall. And they all worked together. And when the Enemies came, every one of them grabbed a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. What a beautiful picture of unity and people working together. And you know what the enemy said? We did everything we did to confuse them, to get them divided, and get them fighting among themselves. In fact, they started to fight among themselves and said, Your nobles are taking our sons and daughters and we're having to enslave them. And Nehemiah says, We ain't having none of that. You're going to set those kids free. You're going to stop charging interest. And you're going to give them their lands back. And you know what the people did? They said, Amen. And every one of them did it. That's a God working evidently through his people. And God has made us one, hasn't he? He has taken us from all different backgrounds. And God, through the power of Jesus Christ, has broken down every wall and every barrier that separates that's why I love you guys. That's why you love me. That's why we love each other. Because we have one Father, and that's Jesus Christ who saved us. And he's adopted us, and we're all one family. And that's when we know God is at work. The testimony of watching God work in 52 days. Less than six months, Nehemiah had moved from Susa to Persia to Jerusalem. He had assembled a team, overcame ridicules, overcame threats, overcame slanders, overcame the temptation to compromise. Their enemies were disheartened, for they had perceived that this work was done by our God. So where do we begin this morning? We turn needs that you and I are aware of. This is where it starts. If you see a need... Turn that into a burden and turn that burden into a prayer and God will work. Be willing to be used. God puts it on your heart if it's going to be a sacrifice to you and a service to others. Pray 
and look for open doors to walk through and then endeavor to keep the unity. View the work of the kingdom as a family project we are building together at North Valley Bible Church. Use your spiritual giftness and use your spiritual abilities to do your part. And let us not let the enemy divide us. Let us be alert for his attacks. I have a sister that comes to the prayer meeting and she prays this almost every Wednesday night. And it's worth repeating. We need to be quick to forgive if we're going to have unity. And we have to be slow to take offense if we want unity. So let, let's have that as our testimony at North Valley Bible Church. People are perceiving that God is at work. May people perceive that in your home. May they acknowledge, say, wow, God's at work at that house. May people be able to say that at work this week when they see you. God's at work in that person's heart. Let's pray together. Father, today, I thank you, Lord, that you're so good, so patient, so long-suffering, and so powerful, God, that your timetables, God, we, we can't figure them out. Why, why it was ceasing for 12 long years, but God, you took that same King Artaxerxes and you took a man like Nehemiah to be his cupbearer, to win his trust, to win his favor, to win his compassion, so, God, that you could use him to rebuild your walls. And, God, you can do that through the ordinary people at North Valley Bible Church, God. I'm praying, God, that this would be a work that is done by you, because, God, unless you build the church, we labor in vain to build it. Unless you watch the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Lord Jesus, today, once again, we dedicate ourselves to you to be used for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.